0: Bye. Hey, my name's Chad, and I'm applying for the preaching position here at First Church, so um, no, I'm just kidding. It is great to be back with you. I missed you guys, I really did. Over the past few weeks, my family had the chance to attend a conference for church leaders as as well as visit our family back in Kentucky. And also I had a week just do some planning for the fall season so that our church can be exactly what God wants it to be. And so I just want to thank you guys for giving me my family that time. Thank you to our elders for that time as well. Uh, We all need those moments to get recharged and encouraged. And that's what the past few weeks have been. And Matt and Jared did a great job filling in for me. I got to watch Matt's sermons online, but then we were actually here last Sunday. I didn't preach, but so we got to hear Jared live. And my wife and I, Allison, we got to actually sit through an entire service together here at First Church, and we never get to do that, so that was a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. So like I said, I appreciate that. But while I'm acknowledging people, I want for you guys to make sure you keep in your prayers. All of our students and adults that are at YouthQuake this weekend, make sure you're praying for them. And also we want to acknowledge right now our Stone Canyon family, as well as those watching online. If you would put your hands together, welcome them into our family room here today. Well, it is July 15th, and so that means it's the middle of the summer, but also means that we've just finished up what is typically known as wedding season. Now, I know the trend is changing, but a lot of people still like to get married during the months of May and especially June. And throughout my 15 years of preaching ministry, I've done a lot of weddings, and many of them have been during the months of May and June. And one thing that I've discovered is... People want their wedding day to go off without a hitch. They, don't, they just want it to be perfect. They want to, everything to happen just right. But it often doesn't happen that way. And you guys know this. I did a wedding a few years ago but the groom locked his knees and it was really hot inside of this auditorium we were in and he passed out right in the middle of the ceremony, hit the floor, and when he woke up, the only thing that he was saying was, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He was afraid that his bride was mad at him. I did another wedding one time where the bride just kept crying and she cried through the entire ceremony, could not stop to the point that her makeup was all messed up, her mascara was running, and she was just a mess, let me tell you. And we got to the vows and so I'm asking them if they take one another and I got to the groom and I said, do you take this woman to be your wife? And I went through the whole spiel and right as I got finished, I was waiting for him to say I do and the little ring bearer standing on stage yells out, I wouldn't do it if I were you. <laughs> and everybody nodded and laughed just like you guys did. I did a wedding last summer, a year ago, Uh, it was an outdoor wedding, Uh, the couple paid for this awesome venue, but you had to park a little distance away in a field, and you had to walk to get to this venue. And it didn't rain or anything, the weather was great, but when we got done with the reception, ceremony all that got back to our cars about half the cars that field had been broken into somebody had stole a bunch of stuff wasn't exactly what that couple planned so I've had my share of weddings and ended up being a mess but even with all of my experiences I've never had to deal with something like this that I saw online the other day take a look at this video over that guy says at the end this is going on Facebook yep that's where this guy got that video exactly did you notice the one groomsman that's clapping in the background I mean the bride is beside herself and he's just clapping having a good old time you know that's how it happens a lot of people want their wedding day to be just perfect but we know often it doesn't happen like that it doesn't always our wedding days don't often go the walk without a hitch And that was the case for a guy named Hosea in the Old Testament. Hosea was one of God's prophets. And over the past few weeks in this series, Uncommon, we've been looking at some of the minor prophets. And it's already been said, these guys weren't called minor prophets because they were less important. They were called minor prophets because their books were shorter. And Hosea, he was one of those minor prophets. He was a guy that God specifically called to speak for him to the people. Hosea was called to serve God about 750 years before Jesus was born. And he served faithfully for 37 years during a period of time when the Israelites were pretty unfaithful. Hosea's story may be one that you're not real familiar with. And I understand why. Because God asked Hosea to do something unique that he never asked anyone else to do before him. And he'll never ask anyone to do again. And we don't talk a lot about Hosea in church because what God asked Hosea to do is kind of odd, kind of strange. And here's what it is. Hosea 1 verse 2, God speaks to Hosea. And listen to what God asked Hosea to do. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Now, can I be the first to say, huh, what? Why in the world is God asking Hosea, his prophet, to marry a prostitute? Well, let me say two quick things before I go any further, because I think two things need to be said. First of all, this is not going to be an R-rated sermon, so don't worry about that. However, I do want to issue a caution. I am going to use a few words because of what God asks Hosea to do that might be sensitive for young ears. So if you're sitting beside someone today who has young ears, this is the time that you put the headphones on. If you don't want to ask uh, or you don't want to have any questions asked to you that you might be uncomfortable with or if they want to, what does that word mean? You know, so this may be the time you put the headphones on or you take them to our children's programming. I promise you, we will not be talking about the story of Hosea in our children's programming this morning. But even though this may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable I think we need, we need to talk about it, because this story is in the Bible for a reason, and I'm convinced that it's one of the most powerful pictures of God's love in all of Scripture. It might even be the most powerful picture of God's love in the entire Old Testament, but it does make us a little uncomfortable. I know how we are. Sometimes when we get to passages like this, we're looking through scripture, and we get to Hosea, and okay, God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. Well, I don't know what that's all about, so let me just skip on over and read something else. You know, like Jesus walking on water, that's safe. You know, let's talk about that. That's how we are with some of these passages that make us feel uncomfortable. Like I said, it's in scripture for a reason. Now, some people want to try to clean up this story a little bit to make it not as uncomfortable many english translations such as the niv which i typically preach from i'm not preaching from the niv today on purpose a lot of english translations instead of using the word prostitute which is what that hebrew word means they use words like unfaithful woman or promiscuous woman or immoral woman and maybe those descriptions capture a the story you can kind of figure out what's going on that's not the word that's used I don't think that God asked Hosea to do this to make him feel comfortable or to make the people feel comfortable. In fact, I've read some commentaries where commentators who claim to believe the authority of Scripture will say, well, maybe God actually didn't ask Hosea to do this. Maybe this is just a parable. Maybe this is a figurative story that teaches some great lesson. The problem is the Bible doesn't say it's a parable or a figurative story. The Bible places this in real time, real history. This actually happened and I've read other commentaries that say well maybe this woman was a good woman when Hosea married her but then later she turned to prostitution later she started to do these indecent things and again I don't know what difference that makes but that's not what it says present tense go marry a prostitute God asked Hosea to do something that probably made him feel extremely uncomfortable and I know it makes some of us feel uncomfortable to talk about it but God places things like this in Scripture for a reason, and oftentimes it's to shake us up. It's to wake us up. So let's be real about what God asked Hosea to do. He asked his prophet to marry a prostitute. And there's a reason why God asked Hosea to do this. If you read on in verse 2, the Scripture goes on to say, this will illustrate, and this is God talking here, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. God's. So God isn't being lax when it comes to his own moral standard, and he's not being lax when it comes to the moral standard for his prophets. No, God is trying to teach his people something. He's trying to teach us something. God says, Hosea, this is what I want you to do. I want you to marry a woman who is going to continue to be unfaithful to you, and here's why. Because my people continue to be unfaithful to me. They continue to turn their backs on me. They continue to worship other gods besides me. They cheat on me over and over and over again. And Hosea, rather than just speaking about this subject, I want you to live it. I want my people to see it played out in your life. And you will be positioned in a powerful way to speak on behalf of me like no one else has before. And through your life, through your marriage, people will understand What they're doing to me. And so Hosea, like any good prophet, obeys God. And he does what God says. He marries a prostitute. And this prostitute's name, it gets worse, guys. Her name, Gomer. I'm not kidding. That's her name. Gomer. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) This is a crazy story. But in many ways, what God asked Hosea to do parallels our relationship with him because you see even though gomer the prostitute continues to cheat on hosea and be unfaithful to him hosea he remains faithful to her no matter what and in the same way even though we continue to rebel against god and reject god and ignore god and cheat on god god remains faithful to us god continues to love us So in the book of Hosea, God isn't necessarily giving us marriage advice, but he's giving us insight into his character, because his character parallels that of Hosea's. For those of you who have read through the Bible before, you know that one of the metaphors God uses to explain or to illustrate our relationship with him is marriage. He uses marriage over and over again as a picture of our relationship with him. And God could have used a lot of images to illustrate how we are to relate to Him, but marriage is one that He chose. And God uses marriage to illustrate His radical and uncommon love for us. And I think that the picture of marriage is very intentional. God uses it for a reason. Because what God desires more than anything else is to have a relationship with you. What God desires more than anything else is to have a relationship with us. And I have with me up here today a piece of paper that's framed. It's a marriage license. It's actually mine and Allison's marriage license. We framed it soon after we were married, put it up in our living room back in Kentucky. We moved here, and we haven't found a spot for it yet, so it, we haven't hung it up yet. I guess after 10 years, people are kind of like, oh, yeah, we all know they're married, so it's not as big of a deal. But it's dated May 24, 2008. We celebrate our 10-year anniversary this year, and we're very proud of this. But you know what's interesting? When I look at this certificate this marriage certificate it hits me how simple it really is to get married you know it really doesn't take a whole lot you sign one piece of paper now we like to arrange a lot of hoopla around marriage but really all you do is sign one piece of paper you turn it in to the proper authorities to the government and you're married right that's all you have to do but you know what this paper symbolizes it symbolizes the fact that you are committing your entire life to someone else. You are giving your entire self to someone else, becoming one with your spouse. Now, I also have up here with me something else, something else that symbolizes a pretty important day in, in the life and the lives of most couples. I have with me mortgage documents. When you go to buy your first house and you take out a mortgage, this is what they have you sign, right? And guess what? It's not one sheet of paper, is it? There's a lot of sheets of paper, and you have to sign your name over and over and over again. And I'll never forget when Alice and I did this the first time, and really I was like this the second time I did it too, but I came in, I sat down in this office, and they were going through and explaining to me what all this is that I'm signing. So I'm on the first page, and they're talking me through it, and I'm looking at it you know, like I know what it says, you know, and I'm just scanning it over like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, okay, that's good. I had no idea what it said, but okay, that's fine. And so they said, I'll sign your name at the bottom, so I signed my name at the bottom Allison signed her name at the bottom we went to the next page and again we went through it and they're explaining to me everything it says and oh yeah that's interesting yeah make sure you all got this right yeah okay we get down to the end sign her name but like the fourth or fifth page I still have a hundred to go I'm just okay just get to the bottom line I just want to sign it and go on I don't even care what I'm signing anymore I could be signing my life away it doesn't matter you guys did the same thing you you know you did at, at, you know was, you get to the point where you're just trusting your realtor you hope that your realtor knew what he or she was doing and so In a marriage document, you have to sign your name a bunch of times. You know why? Because you're negotiating terms with a bank or a lending institution. What you're saying is, hey, I'll do this, this, and this if you'll do this, this, and this for me. You're bartering with them. You're negotiating terms. And there's a lot of fine print that you have to sign because there's a lot of terms. And a lot of people treat their relationship with God more like a mortgage than a marriage. What they say is, okay, God, I'll do this, this, and this for you if you'll do this, this, and this for me. God, uh, I'll go to church, and I'll read my Bible, and I'll put money in the offering plate, and I'll pray if you'll give me some things, if you'll give me health, wealth, and happiness, and throw in eternal life in heaven as well, because that's important. Don't want to leave that out. God, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Where do I sign on the dotted line? This will be our agreement. And what God says is, That's not the type of relationship that I want to have with you. That type of relationship doesn't work with me. What I want is a marriage. I want you to commit your entire life to me. I don't want you just to give me certain things and I give you things in return. I want you to commit your entire life to me. And when you do, I will commit my entire self to you. I want all of you and you can have all of me. We can become one. We can do life together. I want a marriage, not a mortgage. And unfortunately, a lot of people they treat their relationship with God just like a contract agreement, rather than a marriage. God doesn't want to have a mortgage relationship with us. He wants a marriage relationship with us. And the difference between mortgage and marriage is the same difference between religion and relationship. See, practicing a religion is doing certain things for God because you feel obligated to do so. Practicing a religion is doing certain things for God so that you can get things in return from Him. But living in relationship with God means committing your entire life to Him because you love Him and because you know how much He loves you. And the difference between religion and relationship is attitude. Allison was the first girl that I ever fell for. I had dated other girls before her but she was the first girl that I really fell for and I knew from almost the first time I met her this is the girl that I want to marry and I pursued her hard and you need to know something about me since my high school days maybe before then I've been, in Allison words, a cheapskate. I'm kind of tight. I use the word conservative, that she says that I'm cheap. Um, and so I don't like to spend a lot of money. And my parents knew that, and they were shocked When I got serious about Allison, about how much money I was spending on her. And so Friday night would come around, and we'd go on a date every Friday night, sometimes on Saturday night too, and we'd go see a movie, go out to eat. All that stuff costs money, right? we go to ball games. All that costs money, and I was paying all this money out just to have this relationship with Allison. And you know what my attitude was when the weekend came around? comes Friday night. Man, I got to fork out more money to take Allison out to eat. I got to pay more money so we can go see a movie. I cannot believe this. Man, I'm going to be broke here soon. It's Valentine's Day. What? I got to buy her a gift? You got to be kidding me. Christmas? No. Birthdays? I got to buy her. And this is ridiculous. Do you think that was my attitude? Of course not. That wasn't my attitude. I was so lucky that a girl like Allison was giving me the time of day. I would have given her anything. I was just so excited to be dating her. I wanted to do all those things. It was It wasn't a got to thing it was a get to thing and that's what god wants from us he doesn't want us to have the attitude of oh i gotta go to church how many guys said that this morning don't raise your hand i'm kidding no i'm kidding i gotta go to church gotta read my bible i gotta pray gotta put money in the offering gotta go serve people our attitude should be i get to do these things Because we love God, and we know how much he loves us, and being in relationship with him is worth everything. We're willing to do whatever it takes to do life with him and do life his way. And you see, that's my goal in preaching. I'm going to let you know my agenda. I have an agenda. Sometimes people wonder when a new preacher comes to a church. So you have an agenda, here's my agenda in preaching. I'm going to let you know. Here's my goal my goal in preaching is not to get you to practice a religion if that's what happens because of my preaching i'm a failure as a preacher my goal is to get you to understand what it means to live in relationship with jesus and want to have that so that you live with him every single day in love with him and you get to experience his love and that's all that god wanted from his people in hosea's day but unfortunately they didn't see that need God just wanted the people to know, you don't have to run from me in the sense of being afraid of me. And you don't have to run for me in the sense of practicing a religion, running this religious race to try to win my approval. No, you don't have to run from me. You don't have to run for me. All I want you to do is run to me. And he wants the same for us. God wants you to run to him so you can experience his radical and relentless love for you but instead of running to him like the people in Hosea's day we tend to just reject him do our own thing over and over again and that's what Gomer did to Hosea so back to our story Hosea like any good prophet obeys God he marries Gomer the prostitute and Gomer gets this new life This promiscuous woman, this prostitute, gets to be the wife of a prophet. And it's a great picture of a God who gives second chances, a God who brings us out of our mess and gives us a new life. And it would be a great story if it ended there, but unfortunately it doesn't. As we come to Hosea chapter 3, what we discover is Gomer's gone wild. She's run off. She's abandoned her family. She's abandoned her husband, Hosea. She's abandoned her kids. She's left Hosea to raise the kids as a single dad. And here's the thing. We find out that all the kids aren't his. See, she's been cheating on him all along, right? He's raising kids that he's not the father of, that Gomer's brought home. But it gets even worse than that. Hosea hasn't just left. I'm sorry, Gomer hasn't just left Hosea. Gomer's gone back to her former lifestyle. And here's the kicker. We find out as we read through the book of Hosea that Hosea has fallen in love with Gomer. You see, it's not just that he's frustrated that she's left. It's not just that it's a bad thing that she's gone. This hurts because Hosea's has fallen in love with Gomer. And he doesn't understand why she won't stay. He's given her everything. And he doesn't understand why she won't stay. I can't imagine the lonely nights that Hosea had. Maybe before Gomer left, left, and she was just coming in late and he didn't know where she was. He would pace the floor wondering when his wife was going to come home. He'd already put the kids to bed. When is my wife going to come home? And then after she leaves, leaves, she's gone. How many nights did he go to bed, not able to sleep, just thinking, will she ever come back home? Will she ever come see your kids again? Will she ever show me love again? And it's at this low point when God speaks again to Hosea. And Hosea tells us what God says to him. Hosea 3 verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Did you catch that? Go love your wife again again. Now, I want to be very sensitive in this moment. God's words here are not meant to be an all-encompassing illustration of how to handle an unfaithful spouse. This is not a one-size-fits-all formula for how to handle marriage infidelity. So right now, if this story hits close to home, let me just recommend, first of all, whatever your situation is, first turn it over to God, but then seek out Christian counseling and find out what is best for your own marriage, your own family, and for you. This is not a one-size-fits-all for how to handle um, marriage or marital unfaithfulness. No, there's a bigger point than that. God wants us to understand that this is meant to be an illustration of his uncommon love for us. And so look at what God says in verse 1. He says, this will illustrate that the Lord uh, still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. See, God says, this is why I'm asking you to do this. This is my point here. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to their gods and love to worship them. You see, what God is trying to teach us is that God still loves us, even though we have betrayed him, even though we've cheated on him, even though we've rejected him, even though we've ignored him time and time again. And God tells Hosea, go find your wife. I know you don't know where she is right now. I know she's left you. I know she's abandoned you. But seek her out don't wait for her to come home you go find her and you bring her home and hosea the obedient prophet does just that verse 2 in hosea 3 so i bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine now what's that all about what's going on here i bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine Well, most biblical scholars say that when you add all that up, what that equals is the price of a common slave in the ancient world. See, what's going on here is that Gomer hasn't just abandoned the family, and she hasn't just turned to prostitution again. She's apparently got herself caught up in some form of sexual slavery. She's now owned by someone else for sexual purposes. That's how bad this has gotten. So I want you to understand, I want you to picture here what Hosea does. Hosea goes to the seedy part of town. And he doesn't know where his wife is, but he investigates and he finds her. And when he finds her, he discovers that she's caught up in some form of sexual slavery. And she goes to the man who owns her. And he negotiates a price in order to buy his own wife back. This is one of the most powerful illustrations of God's love in all of Scripture because it's exactly what Jesus did for us. It is a picture of pictures of redemption. The word redemption, it means to buy back. And when God found us, when he found you and me, we weren't living in a castle. We were living on the streets. We were living in the brothel. And God came to us not just to make our lives a little better. He came to us to buy us back, bring us out of the filth that we were living in, and give us a brand new life. It's exactly what Paul writes in Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 13. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us from the streets. He's rescued us from the brothel. And He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have, there's the word, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I don't know how you picture God. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of God. But the book of Hosea tells us, God isn't against us. God is for us. And He loves us with an uncommon kind of love here's what the story of hosea tells us teaches us about god first of all god sought us he sought us out the god who created us who we rejected who we turned against who we rebelled against who we cheated on who we were unfaithful to he sought us he sought us out see god pursued us even when we weren't pursuing him he loved us even when we were hard to love even when we weren't returning love to him and the reason why we have salvation today is not because we love God. No, the reason why we have salvation today is because God first loved us. That's what John teaches in 1 John 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another to catch that we have salvation Day not because we love god but because god first loved us and did you notice something else in that passage john says we are to show the same type of love to others even those who are hard to love so the next time you encounter somebody who's hard to love and we all encounter people that are hard to love don't look around but we all encounter people who are hard to love The next time we do just remember that hard to love person is someone who God is pursuing, someone who God loves. The God we rejected, the God we rebelled against, sought us, sought us out. But it's not just that he sought us, Hosea tells us he also bought us. God bought us. Just as Hosea was willing to buy back his wife from her slavery, God sent Jesus to buy us back from our slavery to sin. See, we belong to God in the first place. He created us. We were created in his image. We're his children. He created us. We belong to God in the first place. Just like Gomer, she was Hosea's wife. He shouldn't have to buy her back from anyone. She's his wife. But God loved us so much that even though we're the ones who made the poor decisions. We're the ones that got caught up in slavery to sin. He was willing to do whatever it took to get us back, whatever was necessary to get us back. We were worth everything to him, even death on a cross. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, you were bought at a price, therefore do not become slaves of men. In other words, Paul is saying, don't, don't get caught up in slavery to this world anymore because we find our identity not in our past, but in the price God paid for us. So God sought us, He bought us, and last, Hosea teaches us, God brought us. He brought us back home. Look at what Hosea says to Gomer after he buys her back, verse 3 of Hosea 3. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. In other words, Hosea is telling Gomer, I'm going to give you another chance, but if this is going to work, it didn't work last time, but if it's going to work this time, you've got to embrace this new life I'm giving you. You've got to embrace and accept this new identity that I am giving you. And the same is true for us. As I read through the book of Hosea, the one question that I keep asking is, why did Gomer go back to prostitution? I mean, here she has a man who loves her, who provides for her, who takes care of her, who's willing to sacrifice for her, who's raising children that aren't even his for her. You got a guy who's giving her everything she's ever wanted and yet she continues to go back to prostitution why Well, I think it's because she didn't believe she deserved that type of life and don't we often feel the same don't we often look at ourselves in our spiritual mirror and we say I don't deserve this life that God's giving me because we know what we did back in high school or in college We know what we did a year or two ago. We know what we did last night. And there's a voice whispering in our ear that says, you're not worthy, you're not good enough. God doesn't love somebody like you. God's love may be for everybody, but it's everybody but you. And oftentimes we believe the lies of Satan, and so we drift back into our old lifestyle. And what Isaiah is teaching us is God loves us for us. He doesn't love us because we perform for him. He doesn't love us because we're perfect, because none of us are. He loves us for us. And instead of letting our past define us, we have to let the price that God paid for us define us. Because God loves you in spite of your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. He loves you for you. And what God desires more than anything else is to have a relationship with you. It's funny, when we got back from being out of town for a few weeks, I was going through the mail. We had a stack of mail, of course, that the post office held for us, and I'm going through all this mail, and I see a letter from my life insurance um, from my life insurance group, and so I open it up, and it says that I'm late on making my payment, so my uh, life insurance has expired. I'm no longer covered, and so I freak out in that moment because I'm thinking, shouldn't I have got some warning? And so I went to Allison, and she said, oh, yeah, we did get a letter, and I was going to pay that, and I forgot, and so I'm not mad at her. That's fine. She's raising two kids and all that kind of stuff. I get it, so uh, it's fine. No big deal, but I'm thinking, hey, I need to have life insurance because if something happens to me, I want Alice and the kids to be taken care of, so I get on the phone, and I call up uh, the company I have my life insurance with, and I explain to them that uh, we've been gone for a few weeks, and I missed the deadline, and by the way, it was sent to our old address back in Kentucky, and so it took it a while to get to Oklahoma, and so I'm trying to give them this big sob story like, please don't cancel my life insurance and the lady on the phone said hey, sir don't worry don't worry we have a grace period you're still in that grace period you're fine if you pay it today you'll be fine so I immediately paid her over the phone and it was, everything was fine so I then went to see Allison after that and I said hey it's all taken care of it's good my life insurance is still active everything's fine and so I'm still worth more dead than alive and so uh you'll be taken care of and then I joked and I said if you want to kill me off now go ahead now's the time to do it and she got real serious in that moment, like I didn't expect her to, because normally Allison is a pretty bubbly, joking person, and she said, Chad, no amount of money is worth me losing you. She got real serious, and I said, I was just kidding, you know. Now, I'm not going to put that to the test, no amount of money. I'm not going to put that to the test, but I'll take it. I'll take it. And What Allison is saying is, hey, Chad, I don't love you because of what you offer me or provide for me or do for me. I love you for you. And that's way God feels about us. He loves us for us. Yes, God wants us to leave our slavery to sin and live a new life in Him. Yes, God wants us to overcome the chains that have held us back in the past because of sin. Yes, God wants us to embrace this new identity and live a new life in Him that's very different from our old life. I'm not denying any of that. But He doesn't love us because we're performing well for Him. He loves us for who we are. He loves us for us. Because what God desires more than anything else is a relationship with us. And that's why he's provided a way for you to come back home and for me to come back home. And if God's love sounds too good to be true, that's because it is. Because God loves us with an uncommon kind of love. The question is, are you ready and willing to come back home to him? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this moment that we've had to open up your word and to study it. Father, it's a passage that we don't talk a lot about in church. Maybe it makes some people feel uncomfortable. But Father, I want to thank you for this biblical narrative. This story of Hosea's life and marriage because it reminds us of how much you really do love us so father I pray right now if there's anyone in the room today that hasn't come back home yet that your word what has been said this morning will prick their hearts and that father they will know that they have a place in your household and father I pray that they come back to you today because they don't have to run from you anymore and they don't have to run for you anymore All they have to do is run to you and you'll give them the life that they were created to live. Father, thank you so much for the forgiveness, the grace, the love we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for buying us back through his sacrifice. And it's through his name I pray. Amen.